0: This is Episode 2 with Eva Wong, the COO and co-founder of Borowell. Welcome to Asian Tech Leaders. My name is Justin Peng, and each week we share insights from Asian Tech Leaders to help inspire and guide you to reach your full potential. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get started. Eva Wong is a co-founder and COO of Borowell a Canadian fintech lender that offers personal loans, free credit scores, and personalized product recommendations. Eva's career has spanned both the private and nonprofit sectors, including leadership roles at Maple Leaf Foods, the UNDP, and Oliver Wyman. She was named one of nine Canadian women changing the game by Elle Canada magazine and one of 30 women in Canadian tech worth following by BetaKit. Eva holds degrees from Harvard University and the Queen's School of Business. In this episode, we talk with Eva about her transition between the private sector and nonprofit, as well as her upbringing in the Greater Toronto Area and how that ultimately shaped her worldview. We also talk to Eva about what she does for self care and how she manages being a busy technology executive with the demands of raising two young children. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's get started. So, thank you, Eva, for joining us on Tiger Talks. Yeah, it's a super, pleasure. Pleasure to have you here.
1: Super excited to be here.
0: Um. And for those who don't know, Eva is a co-founder and COO of Borowall, a Canadian fintech company that um, helps consumers make great decisions about credit. Um, Eva, it'd be great just to hear a little bit more about your upbringing. Um, You know, a lot of your accomplishments and where you're at today is is very well publicized. But um, talk a little bit more about your background and where you're from and and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, happy to. Um, So my parents are immigrants from Hong Kong. They moved here in the 70s, and uh, for whatever reason, they ended up in this small town called Lindsay, Ontario in the Kawarthas, and so that's where my sister and I were born. We lived there until I was seven, and then I moved to Whitby, so in the greater Toronto area, and then uh, had a fairly suburban life growing up up there. There were not a lot of other uh, visible minorities where we were growing up, but I would say in general we had a pretty you know, normal middle class childhood Mm -hmm. um, with the the usual like kid of immigrant kind of things of maybe our food was a little bit different and things like (laughs) that. But um, more or less like really nice childhood growing up.
0: That's great. So I think, you know, being raised in an Asian household, how did that influence your priorities? Was it more stereotypical, like do your homework, do math exercises, play <laughs> piano and violin, or was it more I of mean, a hybrid Western No,
1: I uh, that, that describes a lot of it. Definitely the piano lessons. Uh, I liked math a lot. Um, and I think my parents really wanted my sister and I to have a lot of the opportunities that they didn't have. And so we were definitely signed up for a lot of things. It's like ice skating, roller skating, uh piano lessons as we've talked about a number of things so in some ways I think we were like quite typical but in other ways um, I think my parents were like fairly modern and like not not necessarily pushing us in a, a particular career direction so right. that being said my mother definitely wanted me to become a doctor but I think they were very open to us mm-hmm. uh, pursuing what we wanted to pursue which I'm really thankful That's for great.
0: and then from an education perspective Um, you decided to do your undergraduate studies in business. Mm -hmm. Was that relatively well supported by your parents? Or were they disappointed you didn't want to be a doctor?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think my mom is still disappointed that I'm not a doctor. Um, But no, they were very supportive. Uh, I I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do graduating from high school, but I really liked math and I really liked economics. And I fell in love with the Queens campus. And so that's more or less how I decided to go into business. Plus, I would say I think there was like a risk averse part of me Mm. that recognized that I was going to be going into debt in order to get an education and studying business seemed really practical. And so I think um, the job placement rates and they shared average salary information for graduates, that was definitely a factor of um, choosing to study business.
0: Great. And then in terms of like inspirations when you were growing up, were there... People, whether they were in your personal life or in the public life, that you really looked up to um, that helped drive your decisions earlier in your career? That's
1: a good question. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there was any one person, but I do remember having like a number of newspaper clippings that I would sort of cut out of people that I was like, oh, that's like super interesting. One I remember in particular um, were a group of high school students who had founded their own business through junior achievement mm-hmm. and were in the paper. And when I look back on that, like a couple of years, uh, after high school, I realized that one of the people was actually my classmate at uh, at Queen's Commerce. So that was sort of like a funny moment where, you know, a few years before I met him, I actually had cut out a right. newspaper clipping of him. So <laughs> maybe even though I don't think of myself as having had an entrepreneurial spirit uh, in the like really early days, there was definitely something that I thought was cool mm. about being able to start your own thing.
0: That's great. And then in terms of like your identity growing up in Whitby and going to Queen's, like was... Being a visible minority, being an Asian-Canadian, something that really uh, reflected in how you conducted yourself? Or was that something that wasn't too obvious to you and you didn't really feel um, that difference?
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think it was uh, a bit different growing up in what was then like a smaller town or a Mm suburb where where there weren't a lot of Asian-Canadians. And that being said, my two best friends were also Chinese Canadians, so I think there is something implicit around like uh, seeing someone who is more like me, and again having that shared family experience of, you know, we all spoke Cantonese at home, um, even like from food choices and from mm-hmm. like expectations around, you know, what was appropriate as a, as a teenager. Uh, I think there was something implicit that I maybe didn't realize at the time that mm. was like important to me
0: right right. And then after university, you started your career as a management consultant mm-hmm. at Oliver Wyman mm-hmm. and then you made a pivot to work in international development. Um, so did you effectively uproot yourself from from Toronto to Africa for this? Yes. Yeah, and I did. Could you just share a little bit more about that decision-making sure. pro- process and how that went with your sure. parents? Yeah. <laughs>
1: so I think like joining a management consulting firm was great. I think, again, it was the like fulfillment of this, oh, I'm getting, uh, I have a job offer before I graduate mm. and, you know, salary great and I really enjoyed the work as well. Um, I got laid off from that job along with, you know, a bunch of uh, other colleagues and, you uh, I'd say that it was like a pretty hard thing mm-hmm. to, to go through, but I really took it as a chance to like sit back and look at what my career choices were. Again, it was mm-hmm. one of those things where I could do anything I wanted, and so in some ways, the freedom of that was like really um, was really exciting. And I didn't think that I I sort of thought like I feel like I lost this job for a reason, and it's not just to go and do something, uh, you know, go find another management consulting job. And so, uh, yeah, I took a bit of a leap and I decided to move to Africa. I took um, an internship with a not-for-profit. And uh, I would say that, that that choice was difficult for my parents to understand because in I guess in some ways, like, I made it. I graduated from right. university. I would gotten a great job. I would moved to Toronto. I rented this, like, you know, uh, fun apartment. Uh, and so, like, to give up the apartment and to, like, move overseas to uh, – a country that they had never heard right. of like malawi, where malawi that? yeah, exactly <laughs> um i think it was definitely challenging and i think to be fair it's like it was a bit worrying for them too right it's like was i going to be safe and right.
0: um had you even been to malawi no, or any I'd parts never, of africa before i had
1: been to um i'd actually had spent a couple months volunteering in madagascar mm. uh, and i'd been to north africa but hadn't ever been to, to malawi uh, and so I give credit to my parents that, like, you know, they didn't really try to stop me. I don't think they really understood. <laughs> yeah. And I think they were pretty worried. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that did make it harder. I don't know that they really understood why I would want to do this and right. why it was important. And what was
0: the drive towards you wanting to seek out this opportunity specifically?
1: Yeah, I think for me it was, like, a real desire to make a difference. Mm. And, uh, to do work that I thought was meaningful and impactful. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that the experience, I, d- I don't know how much of an impact that I made, but I think the experience had a huge impact on mm. me in terms of just like uh, helping me understand the world a little bit better, helping uh, me to have more empathy with people who have a different uh, lived experience than I do. And so I'm really grateful for the experience I have. That's great.
0: And then afterwards, you went to grad school, you worked in the private sector a little bit, then you went back to the nonprofit sector. Mm -hmm. Um, Were there any common themes in terms of those experiences or what like drove you to to make those yeah, career decisions? Yeah, that's a very
1: uh, diplomatic way of saying that I made a bunch of unorthodox career choices. So, um, no, I think uh, the theme for me was always I wanted to work somewhere where I could learn a lot, work mm. with great people, and uh, and like make a difference in, in what I was doing. Yeah. I'd say like that varied a bit from role to role. Like some mm. roles were definitely more about learning than maybe around um, like making a difference in like the the corporate side. But, um, yeah, I think those are all sort of like themes. And uh, even though it does feel a bit weird that I did, you know, I worked at a consumer packaged goods company, then I went to work for the church that I attend. Uh, I think the theme was always I wanted to do something that Mm -hmm. I was excited about doing where I felt like I would learn a lot.
0: That's so inspiring because I feel like a lot of people have maybe this inner voice that tells them oh maybe they should make a change but yeah it's always hard to make changes that might not be as uh, traditional or orthodox as one might expect because it might look funny on your resume to be frank so yeah it definitely looks it looks funny
1: on my resume (laughs) (laughs) that's for sure I mean I do think um, in a lot of ways things that happen to you that that feel like failures I think Mm. can be opportunities and I think that being laid off I would never have chosen it I would never have chosen to leave that but if I hadn't been laid off from that first job, I wouldn't have gone to Africa. Right. Um, I wouldn't have gotten into Harvard to go to grad school because, you know, that was definitely a follow on of that. And we haven't talked about this yet, but I met my husband when I was in Malawi. So mm. I sort of feel like there's three pretty major impactful sure. things in my life that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't lost my job.
0: Right. So in yeah, hindsight. So, yeah. In at hindsight, the time, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, what's happening? But in hindsight, it's like, actually, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's yeah. all for a reason.
1: Yeah. Feels That's that way. awesome.
0: And Borowal you've been at Borowell for just over four years, That's right? right? Co-founder, COO, um, has had an amazing impact on Canadians so far, having helped over eight hundred and fifty thousand Canadians get free credit scores. Um, what are you most excited about Borowal There's so much momentum behind the business, and it's really helping Canadians get access to credit and you know make investments in their lives. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about? Yeah. Know,
1: no, I think. Um, it's a super exciting mission. Um, we we know there was a study in the Global Mail that Rob Carrick, who's a finance reporter, um, reported on a couple of weeks ago that showed that the number one source of stress for Canadians is their finances. Mm. I think it was four times more than the next uh, next area. So it's like more stressful than your marriage, than divorce, than like worrying about your kids. Than, yeah you know, anything else. And so I think we're in a situation where, even though the economy is relatively strong, people still don't have peace of mind around whether or not they're gonna be able to buy a home, whether they're gonna be able to retire one day, provide for their kids' education. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think on the other hand, we have like all the banks and all these fintech companies that are launching new products, and I think that actually, uh, even though it's great to have more consumer choice, that choice actually becomes more confusing for, Mm for people. So um, Warwell exists to help people make better decisions so that they can achieve their life goals. And yeah, it's been a really gratifying mission, I think, both from like the scale of the impact, we're approaching a million members, which is really exciting, mm. as well as the depth of the impact that we're having. So we hear from customers all the time that we really like help them understand their credit, help them make better decisions, help them pay off debt faster. And so I think all of that is is really gratifying.
0: That's great. It's really neat because it feels like it's really tying together a lot of your experience having been in the private sector and nonprofit sector. And even though it is a private sector company, like mm-hmm. focused on, um, you know, growing revenue and becoming profitable, um, there's definitely a social impact there, too. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I, I often say that before Borowell, I had no background in startups, technology or right. financial services. And so people were like, so how are you qualified <laughs> to do what you do? But I think the reason why uh, I've been able to do this is because what I got good at is like being comfortable being uncomfortable Mm. and uh, figuring out how to move forward when I had no idea how to move forward. (laughs) So I do think that being a startup founder, you're faced with a ton of unknowns. There's a lot of questions that you have and problems that don't have solutions. And so I think a big part of it is like, just being okay with, like, not knowing the answer yeah. and working together with other people mm. to try and, like, figure stuff out.
0: Yeah. And also having worked in nonprofit charity, um, being comfortable working in low and poorly resourced environments, I'm sure. Is yeah. Too. Yeah,
1: for sure. Like, I do <laughs> think there's a lot in common between being a not-for-profit and, you know, being at a startup. And there's a scrappiness that mm-hmm. you need, right? And... Uh, you need to motivate people to join you because of the mission and what you're accomplishing. Yeah. And especially in the early days, it's not because you're paying them a lot. It's yeah. because, you know, they really care about what the it mission. is that um, we're building.
0: Yeah. Great. And then for somebody who's considering working at a big corporate tech company or a startup, mm-hmm. how would you advise them to make that decision and like, you know, balance the trade offs?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that um, I, they both obviously have their pros and cons. Mm. and. I think it depends on what you're looking for, maybe what stage of life you're in. Um, I guess I've really enjoyed being at a small startup company, relatively small. We're right now just over 60 employees, um, because I think that you have the opportunity to have so much impact. Yeah. And as I look around at the Borwell team, there's so many people who've come in and said, "Wow, like I never thought I'd be given this kind of responsibility mm-hmm. this early in my career." I love like the ownership I have. I love that I've been able to impact not just what I do, but like how the company runs and what the company culture is, yeah. and I think that's like really exciting and really impactful. I'm sure there's lots of opportunities at like bigger tech companies as well, which I'm not as familiar with, but um, I, I don't. I think there's like lots of fun stuff around being in a smaller company. Mm.
0: And one of the uh, the amazing things um, that was recently in the press about Borowell is the fact that there is about 50% women Mm -hmm. in the company, which is a huge success. So Mm -hmm. many companies, especially big tech companies, are trying to get a fraction of that number. Could you share a little bit more about, you know, your role in helping to ensure Burwell is a well represented and diverse workforce?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so gender diversity and diversity in general has been Mm -hmm. really um, important to us from the very beginning, but we've not always been successful at achieving it. I think uh, we've had good levels of diversity across a number of other factors when it comes to sort of like ethnic background, uh, religious background, I think a a number of other areas where we were doing okay, but it really was um, gender diversity that was tough for us. And uh, I would say that uh, even though this was important, when we got to be around 16 people, we looked in there in the room and uh, there were only three women. So again, for a company that valued diversity, that was still relatively small, less than 20% of our team identified as, as being female. So, um, there were a number of things that we did and we put in place. Um, I think one of the things was we just defined it as a goal that we wanted mm-hmm. to achieve, uh, gender parity. I think that was really helpful. Um, we took a hard look at our job descriptions and our overall recruiting process. And I think what we realized is that, uh, of the people who were applying for jobs were men, Mm -hmm. and that that wasn't necessarily a pipeline problem. That was because we weren't attracting women, and that there were things that, you know, from an employer brand point of view or how we were writing job descriptions, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, didn't appeal to women. And that was with like a female co founder, right? So, um, I, run, I understand how this can be like really tricky for, for other startups, but there are a number of things that we did, uh, including really paring down our job descriptions and making sure that we were using more inclusive language mm. that I think helped us. Uh, we diversified our recruiting pools, and it's taken a number of years. Uh, it took us about a year to double from 20% to 40% while we doubled our, our team size, so that was a great achievement, but it's taken us another you know, um year or more since then in order to get to that 50% mark. That's
0: great. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. I'm sure a lot of companies will be, if not already, coming to you for advice. No, and I'm more events. than happy to give it. I'm more than
1: happy to give it because I do think it's really important for yeah. us to have diverse teams that are yeah. working on, you know, the innovations of, of tomorrow, right? Like yes. if uh, what tech companies are doing is sort of defining how, uh, how we use products and services in the future, then we need to make sure that all the voices are around the table to make sure that we're developing products for everybody and not just developing products for uh, straight white men who are running right. <laughs> tech companies. Yeah. Wearing hoodies. So, yeah. Wearing <laughs> hoodies, yeah. Again, love straight white <laughs> yes, men wearing yeah. hoodies, but we don't want you know teams that are 100% 100 uh, percent right. that
0: because yeah. the world doesn't look like that so. yeah. yeah yeah and I'd yeah. say
1: I mean you know the the diversity metric is one aspect of it but I think we wouldn't have gotten here if it weren't for us also putting effort into building an inclusive environment mm-hmm. where people from different backgrounds feel valued where yeah. they don't feel like they're the other uh sort of quote unquote yeah. um that doesn't fit into a homogenous uh, stereotype and so um, there's been a lot of work that our team takes a lot of ownership for and I'm really thankful to be part of a team That's that great. cares a lot about building a awesome. an inclusive environment.
0: Great and I guess you know a um, unrelated question to that is kind of your role not just as a woman but as a mom mm-hmm. so I'm a relatively new dad um, I don't have a lot of experience but it, it is quite challenging balancing you know your goals in your career with Wanting to be there and be present for your family, mm-hmm. how have you been able to manage being a co-founder and C-level executive at a large and fast-growing tech company mm-hmm. with all the demands and goals that you have in your family life?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I have two kids who are now eight and five, which I will say is easier than the stage that you're <laughs> at with you know younger yeah. kids. Um, I think first and foremost, my husband is very supportive mm. and uh, is very supportive of. When I'm doing a Borough Well as well as like wanting to be and is a you know uh, an equal parent and uh, uh and partner so I think you know I'm, I'm super thankful for that. I would say that I think there's some advantages of being a founder and a business owner because mm-hmm. you have maybe a bit more say than you would working at a larger company around like the culture and the hours mm-hmm. and uh. You know what what the expectations are around that so um i'm thankful for that that being said like obviously there's a lot of hours that are required just to uh, to to make this successful and i think one of the things that's been helpful for me is to like define what my boundaries are in terms of like work time and personal time yeah. and to be like pretty strict around those and also to be pretty focused within those so um at work, I'm pretty focused on work. Mm. Uh, but when I'm home and I'm with the kids, I really try like not to be on my phone, not to be on my laptop. If I have to do work on the weekend, I'd rather you know take my laptop to a coffee shop right. and be out, um, than to sort of be like yeah. half half, which I think is just like inefficient, right? It's, it's hard. Like, yeah, working from
0: home is not not an easy thing to do. <laughs>
1: right, right. Yeah, and I find it's like I'd rather be more efficient and like spend an hour doing something and actually be focused on it than to spend like two hours. Being right. distracted, being frustrated, mm. and, and not getting stuff done. And yeah. I think, like, that focus time helps make it just sort of, like, more enjoyable too, right? Like, I enjoy work when I'm at work, and I enjoy being with my family mm. when I'm home.
0: Do you find it relatively easy to kind of switch off when you get home? Or do you have any practices or, like, things that have yeah. worked for you? Do
1: you know what? I think this is one of the benefits of being a parent is, like, kids are pretty demanding, right? So. Oh, that's true. <laughs> when they're crying. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I don't have too hard a, a time of, of Have 10. kids
0: that are demanding of your at- time and attention, which Right, most kids, <laughs> right. including mine. Right. <laughs> um, and then self-care. Talk a little bit more about what you do to recharge and re-energize. Yeah. You, know, you probably put so much into your company. You put a lot into your family. What do you do when you yeah. need to just recharge and reset? I think it's,
1: it's a great question, and I appreciate you asking that, because I do think uh, – having a family and then being co-founder of, uh, of a company, a lot of times I think people put themselves last, mm. which I don't think does uh, uh, is helpful at all to the company or to your family. So mm. I do think it's really important. One of the things that I find that's like really important for me is to make sure that I'm getting enough sleep. Because mm. I do find uh, I'm tempted to stay up later in order to get through my email or to like finish something. Uh, But I pay for that the next day Mm. and that, like, I'm not as productive or attentive or creative at work. And I'm also, like, way grumpier with my family. So um, I do think it's really important to, Mm. like, set aside time to do the things that are recharging for you. Um, Do you have
0: a a firm time of, like, okay, I need to go to bed by X o'clock in order to be productive? I do. I'm not.
1: I do, but (laughs) I'm not, like, super strict about it. But uh, one of the things that's been helpful for me is... Uh, at Borwell, we set OKRs, objectives mm. and key results, and we're encouraging people to set personal uh, OKRs as well as professional ones. And my personal ones do revolve around getting to bed at a certain time, screens okay. off at a certain time, and getting it, you know, a x hours of sleep. Which again, it's like helpful because I've set it as a goal. People ask me about it, yeah. so they're like, "Oh, like so like, in. they How are checking. Doing? They're totally Red, checking you. Red, yellow, in. What's the yeah. status?" Yeah. So um, yeah.
0: So step one is the in- intention, and yeah. then step two is actually doing it.
1: So. Yeah, and I think like yeah, being, great. you know, writing down the goal, the same way like any goal that you yeah. have. So I think it's important to take your self care goals as seriously as other that's goals, great. and I do think yeah. that means like, you know, writing it down and measuring it and right. then reporting back against yeah. it as well, and having
0: somebody to keep you accountable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure.
0: Awesome. Um, and two more questions. So you know, something that's on the the minds of a lot of listeners is finding their passion, especially people earlier in their career. Do you have any advice or anecdotes to share from your experience on how, you, how somebody should be finding their passion?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to just to try a bunch of different mm-hmm. things. So before founding Borowell, Andrew Graham, who's our CEO, and I actually founded um, like a social venture, mm-hmm. a not-for-profit that we did without quitting our full-time jobs. And I think for me that was like a really great way of saying it's like, hey, if at one point I want to do this full-time. I should just like test it and see if I like it or don't like it or what do I mm. like and not like about it. And I think that gave me a bit of the confidence to be like, oh yeah, I, I could do this and great. Uh, and yeah, in a way that was like relatively safe. So I do think it's hard in a vacuum to mm. to find your passion. It's like, how would you know that you love sailing if you never went sailing? Right. right. So, so I, you can
0: read all about it. You can talk to as many people as you want. But until yeah. you actually do it and experiment it, yeah. with it a little bit, you don't
1: really know. I think that's right. And I mm. think there's like lots of opportunities. Without quitting your job to be able to like test different things and, yeah. and see whether or not that's an area that you'd want to go into.
0: Cool. And last question: What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
1: It's a great question. I don't have a good it, answer. It doesn't for need these. to be one. It could be yeah. lots
0: of different advice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's some flippant stuff like travel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, like, live your life yeah, before you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that there's an element of. Uh, that I think has been, like, really important in my life around, like, doing things that scare you. Mm. Uh, and maybe not things that terrify you, but, like, just to push yourself a little bit further beyond where you think you can go. Right. And I think I'm really thankful for uh, people who've, like, pushed me, who've, like, thought that I could do something, whether it was, you know, a boss who's like, oh, no, you're going to take this project and you're going to do it. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready. Mm. Um, but I know that doesn't happen for people, and I do think it's important to, like, take advantage of those opportunities or, like, volunteer for uh, for something that you think is just beyond what you can do. Because mm. I think that's what has given me the confidence in times of um, facing a big challenge. to be like, oh, no, I can do this because I was scared to do something else. And I was able to figure it out with help, asking a lot mm. of people questions. Um, but I, I think that, like, challenging yourself and pushing yourself a little bit, Helps you be able to tackle like bigger and bigger challenges over yeah. time, and I think is what builds that sort of growth mindset.
0: That's great. So if you feel a little bit afraid or uncomfortable with something, lean mm-hmm. into that as opposed to back away from yeah, it. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And
1: again, like don't That's think that great. you have to do it all on your own. Yeah. Um, and I, I think like the Toronto tech community specifically is like super helpful, and a lot of people are very open to mm-hmm. to helping other people out. But yeah. I think you can find people who are willing
0: to be helpful awesome. on the journey. Cool. Thanks so much, Eva. Appreciate
1: it. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. Please share this with your friends and follow us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, take care.